Welcome everybody. Uh, glad to have you here uh, for this uh, Marketing Ops Confessions. So before we uh, introduce our guest today, uh, just wanted to say thank you for joining. Feel free to introduce yourself uh, in the chat. Uh, keep, in, keep it uh, lively. I think one of the big thing here is to hear about your questions. We want to talk about things that you care about. And if you're watching this as a recording, uh, you're missing out uh, for the community. Um, feel free to join uh, live next week as well. We are offering like the lunch for that session. So we'll send the $25 uh, gift card so you can get something on Uber Eats and, uh, and enjoy that uh, as a team. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce so Neha. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna share a lot uh, about her uh, quickly on, on who I am. I'm uh, Sam Levan, co-founder and CEO of Matkudu. Matkudu, we are a data science platform for a marketing operations team. We work exclusively with B2B uh, software companies and we help marketing ops teams go faster, smarter on analyzing, orchestrating and optimizing the funnels like inbound, PFG, outbound, AVM. Um, so feel free to put, put your questions uh, in the chat as we go. Like we need to wait for, for any Q&A. And so excited about uh, Nihei because, um, so she has a two pages bio, like we have, <laughs> we have, a, we have a bio. Uh, and uh, I'll share a quick summary, but first welcome Nena. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's exciting to see all of you guys participating today and love to hear your questions and hopefully we'll be able to answer them throughout the session. Nice. And yeah, thanks also to invest in yourself. I know we're all busy. We are doing Zooms and going into one more uh, webinar. That's often a lot. Um, but investing in ourselves, I think, is, is key so that we can give more to our work and to, to the community. Um, so about Niha. So she's uh, Director of Marketing Operations at McAfee. She runs uh, the web email messaging channels on the consumer uh, business globally. You run a team of like 40, 50 people located in the US, uh, in Spain, in India, Australia. Before that, you were at uh, Intuit, uh, running on the small business group, uh, a group that generated about over $3 billion in uh, revenue. And you were like in charge of the full gamut, uh, vision, strategy, user experience, operation, business metrics uh, to drive like the revenue growth uh, as a head of digital operations. So there is a lot more to say, but one thing that, that really stood out when we talked was uh, you came from the strategy world, like you came from uh, the business world and you moved to operations. And often we hear the other way around where, you know, we some of the comments, I think, from uh, the, the, the folks were, hey, I'm today in operations, but I'm seen as an admin and uh, I'm not seen as a strategic partner. Why did you go from strategy to operations when many many folks want to do it the other way around? <laughs> yeah, oftentimes I do get this question that operations is not a very sexy role. And operations just mean you're an admin, as most people have felt, or doesn't have strategy. But it's quite the opposite. It's over my few years of learning that I understood that strategy is amazing on paper. And as we build it um, uh, together as teams and organizations, it's great to kind of innovate in that space. But strategy with no execution is really poor. So oftentimes, my biggest roadblocks as I was trying to execute some great strategies and ideas and innovation was how to get them executed correctly. And that sort of led me into the world of operations, if you may. 
I took interest in teams that were actually participating in the solutioning around our ideation. I took interest in the kind of technology that was helping us doing it. And I saw that there was an another world altogether that was running in the background. It is like going to a symphony and you see all of the, you know, the musicians sitting, but there is one orchestrator that is basically pulling all the strings. And that is what I thought of operations, that there was this one main team of people that knew exactly what string to pull so that the music was perfect. And that's when I fell in love with the operational piece. And when I married the two together, great strategy and amazing execution, the business outcomes were phenomenal. So that was my journey for the first time, introducing myself to ops. And I, I, I would advise people that if you're an operations participate in strategy, try to understand where the customer, your stakeholder is coming from. And as you learn more about it, try to fall in love with the problem. And, and soon you'll see once you marry the two, the outcomes will be as impactful. That's, uh, yeah, that's interesting to see the rise of ops. I think we, uh, we've seen uh, statements like the best CMOs have the best operations teams, or you know, when the CMO comes in, one of the first jobs they hire for is operations. That's correct. That's that's correct because it's, it's it's a fundamental role. It is a bedrock of everything that you're going to be creating. You know how you going. What are the layers that are going to make that cake? Right. You've got the base layer needs to be firm. Then you've got the cream that goes in it. Then you've got the filling that goes in it. Operations is basically doing that cake building with you along the journey. And so most CMOs are looking for a framework as they build teams. They were looking for a vision, but they want to operationalize it. This is what I mean when strategy and vision is married with actual execution. What are going to be my pragmatic problems? Where is the budget going to come from? Where is the resourcing going to come from? What are the verticals that I want to resource against? You know, what is important for my business now, but also five years from now and really creating the flexibility and resilience in the team. Most CMOs are looking for operations to kind of help build that framework and only then they can be successful because you don't want to stop the train along the journey. You want the train to just leave the station and keep going and operations is the track that it runs on. So that's, I, that's, yeah. That's that one you, you're, I think, making everybody uh, hungry right now with the cake <laughs> analogy in the symphony. Um, but one of maybe two questions that are kind of two sides of the same coin. When you are a CMO, I've, had, I've talked to CMOs and they were saying, look, I just got that new role and there is a, a great, you know, ops teams. I'm not exactly sure what they do or what question I should ask them, right? Uh, so what's, how do you, uh, help me like think about that, but the other way around where there is a new CMO in place and, you know, operations have to talk to the CMO and explain what they do, why, you know, how to leverage their team, right? How yeah. do you describe operations to, yeah, to a CMO or CMO to, uh, to an ops team? That's a great question. It it really depends on how operations is set up within an organization or what your historical operation teams were going to do. I have to tell you this, Sam, that operations team evolve every year, every quarter. Um, their roles can expand or, uh, or uh, you know, inflate in, uh, in ways that you can't even realize because operations is so horizontal. So if somebody were to ask me in point of time what operations does, I can tell you. But I can't say that we won't evolve in the next one or two quarters or the next year. The business changes, environments change, and so does operations. So the real definition of an operational team is... Um, 
you know, a center, central system, nervous system that allows you to run your business in various ways by people, by technology, by process. And you could increase and decrease the impact that operations has in each of these lanes within an organization. And that is what you are. You are a central nervous system. Now, when I explain to my CMOs or my you know, leaders as to what we do, I really begin by asking what is the impact our teams have had in these areas, whether it's technology, whether it's people, whether it's resourcing. It's really important to have a clear mind frame of what is that impact, whether it's in numbers or revenue dollars, whether it's in process change and you know, other areas of the organization like budgeting. Is it in technology? Have you introduced something new and the impact of the technology that the business has gotten? So I think there's a lot of homework to be done by the ops leaders over here to define what success is for operations. And it could be very different for every person within an organization, every operational team within an organization. So that is how I usually begin my conversation as to what is the preview of the work that operations is doing in in my organization what are the kind of people the verticals that we support and then where is the impact coming from and it, it could be defined very easily from that point of view yeah i mean that's what makes it tricky where you know if you say what's a sales organization about look it's easy right like generating pipeline and closing pipeline and new bookings or sales and exp expansions Operation is more like almost product management, sometimes harder to define. And ops, it really depends almost on the company, the stage, and the requirements. So you're saying when you're talking with a CMO, instead of defining operations abstractly, like ask them what their goals are, what the impact is, and then go from here. That's precisely true. Yeah, got it. I think that's maybe uh, one of the things that's, uh, that's challenging when we are in ops is, you know, it's, it's uh, a pretty malleable thing to, uh, to define. And talking about that relationship with exec, um, a lot, I think, of the ops folks, I, oh, yeah, we have a good comment from Jeff as well uh, about the engine. So mm. uh, it's not about cakes, um, but <laughs> without an engine, the vehicle does not move forward. So, yeah, the, 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 who are like the engineers that make the engine uh, works and then someone needs to pilot, but you need a good engine to, to, to pull the machine forward. Great. Um, so um, and on, thank you, Jeff. Uh, Jeff has some really amazing comments, but thank you, Jeff. I think that definition also makes a lot of sense. You could define ops in whichever format that the company wants it to, right? It's it that is the beauty of operations. It's it's like water. It really just takes the shape of the container that it's in. So operations is all about meeting the business uh, requirements and the needs, and you can evolve uh, in whichever direction the business goes. One, uh, if, we, if we're on the topic of working with executives, one of the challenge I feel like when I work with ops team is ops team are doing some, I mean, they are like the, yeah, so the, the, the layers of the cake, they are the orchestrators, the, 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 the people making the symphony happens. Uh, but one of the challenges, um, the, often they don't talk to executive very well. So they don't speak with the CMO uh, as well as they could. They don't talk to the CEO or to the VP sales or to the CFO. They have to talk to a lot of players now, like the data teams and now even the product teams, right? They, so they, they are that um, organization that have to talk to all those players and they, they're often doing a poor job, especially with the executive level. They talk mm -hmm. a lot about the how, like, hey, how do we do those campaigns? We do those models, those attribution, those very technical, but executives don't get the full narrative. 
do you see that like in your team when you when you see your your team members talk to other uh, partners and what's your advice to talking with executives yeah i think that that's usually somewhere the disconnect happens because what executives can't tie is these are my goals and this is the strategy i set up you did something and there were some outcomes but what happened in that something in between is unrelated so the biggest challenge over here and it happens often is how do you tie what operations does to the uber goals and that is where the first step begins you know get involved in the the prioritization process and prioritization is another big category that i think is a big blocker in most organizations organizations are evolving like evolving the structure of how they prioritize but once you have a clear goal set i would always say is there a line that can be drawn from that goal into the work that you're doing and that is how you begin the conversation you say you set up an x sales goal to enable sales we did x y and z and so the outcomes that the sales is seeing is impacted or enabled through operational work so that is like the first way to approach it and say here are the uber goals here is the line drawn from there into my teams this is the impact that i brought and then continuously have these conversations so that they are not lost on you in terms of the story that you say so every quarter as you go through your planning process do the before and the after the retrospectives are really important how did the quarter go what were the operational blockers you know if something was missed out in the goal or strategy or you missed a goal you know how can we make this better as soon as you get involved in that conversation of what the strategy is and where the line is drawn and you are enabling yourself and your team and the c level suite to understand your blockers and enablements they will start seeing the impact that your your business is bringing so i would say that it makes it you uncomfortable because sometimes the, the lines are very blurry by the time it hits your team an operations team person maybe the impact is very small but it is not irrelevant it is relevant to the uber goal of of that team and one drop at a time you're actually enabling other teams to get move forward so that is that is all we need to do is to get involved in that process of communication prioritization and in goal setup I love it. So if I, if I rephrase, and that's a topic that I see a lot with a lot of teams, like don't talk so much about the how, it's really about the why, what are the Uber goals that the company has or what you mentioned and link the what that we've done with a before after uh, in a very like precise way, not let's stay away from the how uh, in those conversations. Correct. Gotcha. And uh, one thing that uh, you, you're very strong about is um, getting the right budgets, but also helping the leaders align. Like in a lot of conversation I have, for example, when I, every week I talk to four or five uh, marketing teams and with operations, I often go with the why, right? What are the Uber goals that you have 2021 or Q3 now? And how do we link now the work that we're doing to those goals? And often it's not very clear. Like some, often like people don't want to say, oh, we don't, we don't have very clear goals. So we kind of make up some stuff. Uh, but how do you help, I think, aligning on the goal, getting a lot of clarity on the super goals, prioritizing, and then asking for budget and the resources to accomplish on, on that? Yeah, so that's a very large question. Prioritization, sizing of work and planning, right? How? So we the first thing is important is to understand your current team's capacity. What does your team do and how much of it it does and what does it mean in the big picture? So if there are 100 points on the board, how many points does your team today um, enable in the, on that board? 
and you know, what is the team's capacity to do something? Because once you have a baseline of how much an operations team can do, now you have the ability to go into a prioritization or a conversation and say, if you ask me 100 things, my team can do it. But if you ask me 110 things, my team cannot do it. So now you have a reason to ask for budget, reason to ask for resourcing. So that's so, number when, one. When you say the, the, the um, points on the board, um, are you thinking of like roles and responsibilities like uh, outcomes you... i think outcomes? Let, let's mm -hmm. yeah it's like a personal outcome so most most operations teams are executional in nature right you have an ops admin you have an engineer you have a developer you have some sort of a qa person you might even have operations liaisons that are helping teams you know do project management it could be a variety of things but as one individual in a one particular role what is your potential outcome what is i what is your productivity, right? Today, as one person in a quarter, I can do five projects. That is my productivity as a full-time mm -hmm. person. I would do the same thing for my contract workers as well. Having an estimation, because ultimately resourcing is around what is the incremental I'm going to get if I get this extra resource. And often C-suite um, you know, executives want to know what is the incremental that is going to be expected and what's then the impact? So to answer those questions, you have to create that baseline to say one person, the outcome is five project that is X number of revenue dollars. So if I add an additional person of the same caliber, it is going to bring you X number of revenue incrementally, right? So that's number one. Two is when you go into asking for budget, resourcing, prioritization, it's really important to have a list of trade-offs. And oftentimes teams do not have a visual of what would they drop if they were asked to reprioritize something on their plate. And if you don't have goals, that's okay. And if you don't have a fixed vision of the priorities, that's okay. But you should have a fixed vision of what things can go below the line if the, the situation arises where you have to put something else on the plate. So at that time, your team is not thinking about what's next. Your team is always going, there's never a pause. So that operational flexibility and creating that range at what is the minimal optimal and what is the stretch and creating that range is really important for the executive team. So that is how we usually approach it. And I keep saying this, that we don't usually follow a trajectory of the most stretched goals that I can receive in the quarter. We usually go in the tra trajectory of an optimal range in which we can fly. It's like flying a kite. You have to keep it in, in up in the air all the time. And to do that, sometimes it's down and sometimes it's up depending on how the wind is coming. Think of your business as your wind and the kite can keep floating up and down, but that resilience needs to be created um, in your team so that they can go up and go down depending on the volume of work that's coming in. That is what your executives want to see. What is my risks? What are my trade-offs? And what are the must-dos that I can ac actually accomplish from the team that is provided to me? I, um, that's that's pretty wise. And on, on, that, on that topic, so... There is a baseline of what can be accomplished with a the team. There is a range uh, of outcomes on that. And the incrementality, I think, is, is very key. Even on my end, when people ask me for budget, I'm like, I mean, depends what you want to do with it, right? There's not a like a spreadsheet with a special number, and that's the budget we have. It's uh, all depends, I think, on that incrementality of if we spend more, what what more do we get right, with, uh, with on that piece? Precisely. Um, and on the, the prioritization and the trade-offs, because that's something I think uh, I struggle with sometimes with my board, or like I can see like an you know, operations team struggle because it's easier for leaders to say just do more, do more, do more, 
And I see a lot of operations teams very overwhelmed. It's everybody's asking for more, like the CMO is asking, sales is asking, dimension is asking, the, um, everybody is asking something. How do you um, communicate those trade-offs? Like you mentioned the point on the board, but like, are you creating a deck? Are you like doing a spreadsheet? Do you have like a, <laughs> a you know, a, a ticket management system where you, 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 yeah, how do you communicate that piece? It could be a, it could be a combination of a lot of things, Sam. So depending on how absorption of information happens in your team. So a lot of teams use collaboration tools, like you could track your projects, your quarterly prioritizations. Um, let's take an example of like a project management tool, like monday.com. You could have all teams put all of their priorities in one place and then go through the exercise of prioritization. But like I said, I think for me, it it has always been about visuals. And I think most executives want to look at what was accomplished. So I would do like a board of categories of items. And sometimes it's an Excel sheet. Sometimes it's a PowerPoint where it says, I've done 50,000 emails. I have done 500 landing pages. I have done X and Y and Z with the number of people. And then show the incrementality, like you said, in terms of like, this is the this is the baseline at where we operate. This is the incremental that you've asked for to lift the incremental. There are these number of people. So visualize the 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 problem and also the solution so that it's easy for somebody who's seeing it for the first time to take it in. We also do, um, you know, scrum work. So a lot of organizations also run in this scrum framework and you could show teams and what the scrum teams are running at. And again, points on the board. The pointing system is quite uh, engineering in nature. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the times it's even helpful talking to your peer organizations when you're asking for dependencies and work to get done to have a scrum board where you have points on the board and say, this is what the productivity looks like of the team. But anything that will help your peers and stakeholders take in the conversation. And I usually do a visual board of this is how many people and this were the outcomes. Incremental is this much and this is how you do it. But you have to do it on a recurring basis. It's not a one and done. And the trade-off conversations really needs to be distributed because operations definitely does execution, but it sometimes may not have preview into the kind, the right kind of trade-offs. And for that, you need your business partners to say, what is the customer impact? What is the business impact? Are these legal requirements? And really looking at that problem from a 360 view to say, to make the right trade-off, you need the right you know, priorities and you need the right principles by which you're going to make the trade-off. So write your principles down as an organization that when I make a decision, these are the principles that we're using and use it transparently across uh, all of your organization. That is one of the biggest challenges that today executives don't share the way they think. When you make your thinking very clear and shareable, you often don't get questions from your peers to ask you, how did you come up to this decision? Because they know how to do it themselves. They can use the same principles that you have applied in decision-making and now come to you with a solution was asking you what the solution should be. I see what you're saying. So it, uh, it's a lot about asking the leaders, how, how are they making decisions so that you can then take that into account and even involve like other uh, stakeholders to get more precision on the, on the trade-offs. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, got it. And if we move, I think to, so we talked about the um, 
like how to communicate with the exec team. We talk about the budget and the incrementality and the trade-offs. One thing that I think you are quite special about that I haven't seen a lot on, on the on ops team is this mix of execution and exploration. Like most of the time I see a lot of teams where look, we're just trying to like keep the lights on, uh, try, just try to run all the campaigns that we have, give the insight that people are looking for, implement like new technologies. And, and I mean, the, the, the plate is full and there is very little time for exploration. And, and, and on your end, maybe a fun fact about uh, Neha, um, you uh, are also an artist, uh, dancer. I've seen your work at the Smithsonian. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so if you have a few minutes to, to, to take, uh, go online and, and look for Nea and Miss Smithsonian. You'll see some uh, beautiful piece of art. Uh, but it also shows that you're able to uh, manage your work, have a, a life uh, beside that. So how do you do that? How do you uh, keep, keep that uh, exploration and that time? Yeah, so there are, there are two questions here. I mean, personally, I keep my work and life balance as much as possible, you know, separate, right? And operations is a 24-hour job, and anybody who has been in this role knows this, right? You're always, the lights are on, because if you were the nervous system of a business, you should not, you should not never be shutting down. So there is always, you know, what's the next thing that you must do? And to do that, you have to compartmentalize. So for me, it's my right and the left brain is always compartmentalized in that format. And I, I try to shut myself down at the end of the day and go back to whatever makes me uh, more happy or gives me time to like explore what I need to do uh, next in my life. Uh, you know, I just go over there. So maybe reading a book is something that people like doing I paint and that just takes my mind away from the day-to-day -day problems because uh, operations is always about problem solving and it could overwhelm somebody so I would I would always advise people to say you know be very very upfront with what is it that you want out of your work-life balance and you set your own rules and you About manage boundaries. those rules yes yeah, and you set your own difference. boundaries in France, we uh, drink wine and, and, and eat cheese. That's, uh, that's how we, <laughs> we do what, the kind of, yeah. Whatever rocks your boat over there. So definitely, I think whatever makes uh, you happy and takes you away from what you are doing from nine to five to just let you regroup. And that is true within an organization as well. Every team must create room for innovation, testing, retrospectives, right? This is only the way you learn. Uh, so it's true even so in my teams. <laughs> yeah, how, what's the secret here? Like, how do you how do you how do you do that? I think you have to enforce a process in there, right? Uh, there is always a challenge of never giving up your in quarter dollars to be able to do something like this, but you have to create bandwidth for it to happen and you must start doing it right from the beginning. So I always do an 80-20 bandwidth where it's 80% run of business and 20% towards anything else that helps the team develop uh, their muscle for training, their muscle for understanding of uh, how other organizations work, understanding of what business wants. So create the 80-20 rule right from the beginning. Set that expectation with your business to say, if we have 100% capacity, we're only operating at 80% because the 20% is buffer for all these items. And then use that 20% wisely. Like, what do you want to accomplish in that 20%? It could be some backlog items. Some folks had asked about questions about tech debt. You could be, you know, churning through some of your tech debt work that you've been meaning to do. Or is there a complex problem that your team has been trying to solve for a very long time and just don't have the time to do it? Chip away in that 20%, you know, and work towards trying to clear out those backlog items. So th 
that I think that is my secret sauce here, where I always adhere to that eighty twenty rule. Right. Where often I think we, especially on the planning, we have this pressure to accomplish all those goals. So we're already like committing to one hundred percent of our resources. But you're saying no, like I'll, I'll commit eighty percent, and I will make a point of keeping twenty percent as a buffer for growth and exploration. That's correct. Um, are you sharing that externally, like for example with the CMO and the exec team? Is it like precisely that's explicit? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very explicit. It's in my plan. So as I create the baseline, as I was alluding to earlier, that baseline is that 80%. That is what I go with. And sometimes, most often, we don't even chat about the 20% because it is always set aside. And it could be for anything. And we we do the sharing of this 80% and what we've accomplished, but also the sharing of the 20% that we've done and the additional you know impact that the 20% has brought. And sometimes you'll be surprised that people and organizations don't understand the impact of the innovation or the impact of clearing your tech debt does to them, eventually when you get it through and you see the impact, it's quite delightful. So also share the progress that you accomplish in that 20%, whether it's personal or whether it's an organizational thing. I think you will be surprised how people accept it. Interesting. So you said, no, like, don't, I mean, one, be bold, go ahead and, and, and make it explicit. And then follow up after like the quarter is over. Say, hey, we, by the way, with those twenty percent, here is the outcome we also got from those twenty percent, and, yeah. and then they build that trust and delight. Yeah, precisely. Got it. That's uh, yeah. I think yeah, it's interesting to uh, interesting concept. I think to push, and I, I love that idea. I think very few, even companies beyond marketing operations, can operate uh, on that way. But that's uh, at least it's working great for you. That's I can acknowledge uh, that. Yeah. Is. Um, the time is going going fast, but we're talking about uh, experimentation, being proactive. You also like um, have been very strong about operational, what you call operational readiness. Can you share more about what that means and uh, what yeah. uh, how you implement that? Yeah, operational readiness is uh, a terminology that I think I've just acquired in the last few years as I've gone through. Uh, you know, companies that are going through their own transformational journeys, whether it is transforming a certain part of your business, or whether it's, you know, kind of relooking at investing in technology, um, or just kind of optimizing what you have currently on your stack, uh, relooking at team structures, etc. But operational readiness is like disaster control or preparing for the future, right? It's more to do with, do we have everything that's required today? Do we have the right talent, the right technology, the right way of functioning and process, governance and framework for the next two, three years of our business life? Because business in on the web is evolving so fast, we have to be ready with all sorts of tools and you know uh, processes in place so that again we don't stop in our tracks once a tra train leaves the station there is always room for us to pivot if necessary and that is what the operational readiness is and it's also maybe carving out budget right for operational readiness to say look we're taking a very big decision today or we're bringing in resources or we need new processes or we're uh, acquiring new teams what what is the buffer on the budget that we can create to make sure that you know when the decision is made to acquire new things that we have room and flexibility to like provide the right kind of monetary and financial support that the teams will require so it's like you know having a savings account in the in the background to make sure that you're putting away money to make sure that you know your business is running smoothly 
So that is what I really mean by operational readiness. It could be planning, having a plan A and plan B for items that are very large ticket for your business. If you're testing something for the next six months, you know, what is your operational readiness if things fail? So it's really failure proofing your decisions and creating backup plans so that you don't have to wait when the decision point happens to make a choice. That is operational readiness. That's, uh, I can see like how, I think as a leader, that's that's your role, right? Because the, the question of will a problem occur is not a if, but a more of a when. So you're saying it's your role to be ready and to have that buffer uh, ready for that, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about the team, uh, like for example, that includes as well um, team attrition, especially I think in the last six months, we've seen a lot and there is always a lot of attrition in marketing. But even more now, like I was uh, looking even at some data on LinkedIn, and most of the people have two years of experience in one company, which means that half of your team is basically like churning every every year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one, you can work on the attrition, or you can also work on always keeping a, a pipeline of great candidates. Uh, what's your hiring process? What's who are you looking for in operations and? For people who are hiring, I think that can be great to hear uh, Neha on, on that piece. But also, if you are looking to build your career, like it's interesting to see what you are looking for, what's in, what's important for you. Yeah, um, operations is such a, a learnt skill. I think it comes with a little bit of experience and uh, a lot of inquisitiveness and curiosity. So when I look at a resume, there is there is never a way for me to actually judge 100% that this person uh, is meant for operations or not. It's really after having a few conversations that you realize whether they have an operational bend or have a liking for operations. It isn't somebody's cup of tea if you're coming just straight out of strategy. You'll, you have to acquire a taste for operations because it could be so many things all at the same time. So it could be very overwhelming for somebody who is you know, going new into this, um, uh, into this field. What I'm looking for is basically someone who is ready to, uh, you know, take on a challenge, someone who is a very solution mindset person and is not afraid to fail because you will, you will have failures in operations. There's never going to be a time where you're going to have a record of success. Three, do you have great communication skills? We've talked about this uh, in the last 30 minutes about how important communication around operations is to our C-level suite. So I'm looking for that as well. So these are some of the key uh, attributes I would say that I'm looking for in a person. And then the ability to really um, link data, strategy, and operational rigor and piece it into a story that makes sense, right? The ability to understand a holistic picture of the business, that is what you really want from an operations person. And that curiosity and, you know, all of those attributes will play into it. Because if you're curious to learn about the business, you're going to see similarities and you're going to see where the connective tissues are. As you're hiring for teams and you asked for questions around, you know, the teams are always going to attrit uh, because the markets are this way. Uh, you, you really have to focus on keeping engagement with whoever it is that you hired. I think the if you keep a track on attrition, you're always going to lose the battle because no matter what you do, you know, the decision then is very personal whether to be with your company or not. So I, I invest in people. I want to first hire people that are interested in the job and then challenge them with the right set of things so that they feel engaged all the time. And the, the one question that I ask my new hires is, 
what will it take from me to make you successful in this role? And I often ask this question every quarter so that I am making sure that I'm on top of my game as a manager and, you know, pushing them in the right way and developing their skills in the right way so that they feel engaged. And then you don't have to worry about attrition as much. So that is how we look for ops people. And that is how you invest in people from, from my point of view. That's very interesting. And uh, yeah, for, for everyone like in the, in the room, feel free to share your views as well, like your reaction maybe to uh, what Neha shared. Uh, what do you look for uh, either when you're hiring or when you are uh, being hired? Like one of, kind of the thing that's, that's um, felt important. Um, on, um, you haven't mentioned anything about technology. It's interesting. You mentioned a lot about curiosity, yeah. about putting a story together. Yeah. That's yeah, technology is, is um, it's such an open book because technology, again, keeps changing in our world. You know, you could have one automation tool today, you could have another one. And once you understand the basic structure of how technology is getting used, then it's about just training yourself to um you know, kind of further understand the differences or the nuances in, you know, each of the uh, the tools that you probably acquire in your business. And I didn't mention it because a lot of times I've also seen that ops can be highly technical, but also ops can be highly business oriented and just could, you know, float in that direction uh, or either to the left or the right very easily. So it could be a black and white case. If you're looking for somebody who is an operational admin or is going to work with a pure set of technology stat, then absolutely look for key areas of you know, technology understanding from that candidate. But oftentimes you need a mixture of two or oftentimes you need the curiosity to learn technology and to understand how it's getting applied. So I usually keep room open to understand what the role is and what that person can cannot do to help hire for a role that is specific to my business. And that is why I kept it out of the question, but it's it's highly important to understand their uh, adaptability to technology. Uh, have they used it in the past? Have they been adaptable to changes? And that is going to then inform whether uh, the candidate is right or not. Yes, uh, yeah, we have Jeff uh, from Magnitude Software, I think has a similar story. He's sharing that his first and best hire had no market to experience, only Salesforce marketing cloud. And uh, however, they had a mindset for operations, clear ability to solve a decision problem with folk shots. So, yeah, so we're saying the takeaway is really look for that ops mindset, that curiosity, that ability to learn uh, and, and, and think about problems. Yeah. I've seen a lot of uh, similar trend, I think, on the development world where people used to say, oh, no, I'm a C-sharp developer, I'm a Java developer. And, you know, who cares? Like, it's more about uh, an ability to learn and be on top of the latest trends. Correct. Um, one thing, I have a very bad, uh, it's, it, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, not, it's not marketable, but you have, you know, on the operations, you have admin work, which is uh, like you, your Salesforce admin, marketer admin, uh, attribution admin. You have the analyst, where now you start creating some, some insights. You have the architect, where you're starting now putting the pieces together, and you have the strategist, and that makes AAAS, which is not, not great. <laughs> Uh, do you feel like on, on does that is it aligned with what you're seeing as well in the roles that you hire for and and are you seeing that 
you know, for example, analysts, should people in analysts really work more on this, on the architecture? Like, how do you, uh, how would you help someone navigate through that? It is, it's highly dependent on how your technology stack is set up. So if you have a hybrid stack, right, let's say you don't have a stack which is built in within, you know, uh, from one company, let's say Salesforce, for example, it has an end-to-end -end cloud suite and you could have, you know, all these roles within one suite and one person can manage it. But they're so superfluous in that way. I think everybody in the, each of these roles have to be somewhere connected to each other because the way that admin actually sets up you know, campaigns within a system that talks about how insights are going to get developed because if that isn't correct, then the insights are incorrect. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then the data architecture needs to be set up correctly for the person to set up the campaign correctly. So, I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of interdependency over here and it needs to work as a unit. I don't think necessarily any of these people or roles need to sit in one organization. They could be also dispersed around engineering, you know, backend data, you know, front-end campaign management, et cetera, or marketing teams. It really depends on how your technology is set up. So if you have a core piece of technology that is completely end-to-end, best-in-class coming from one, you know, company, then having these roles sitting anywhere could just be just could mean like it could be one role. But if you have a hybrid where you have, you know, one best in class or best in breed item from one place or the other, then having these teams talk to each other in a format that makes sense is important. So the definition of, of a successful campaign end-to-end -end needs to also be shared amongst these roles, right? What your data architect thinks is an executable campaign, does your admin think that is the same or an insight of a successful campaign is that the same as what your admin set it up to be so what are those attributions what are the definitions of a successful campaign what is the success and overall setup of a technology all needs to be unified and you need to speak right? integrated yeah. with each other mm -hmm. yeah so i can't have somebody speaking spanish and talking to us uh, you know talking to me in english because that I just would be disconnected. So everybody needs to speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I think, in operations where it's like, I often say it's a polyglot or the uh, Babylon uh, setup. Yes, precisely. Uh, yeah. And talking of growth, and I know the time is, is running out uh, fast, what's uh, a good place for ops folks to uh, develop their craft? Yeah, there I is think... this, this, uh, this, this is obviously like one, one, one piece I think where we try to help, but other than that, yes. what do you recommend? Yeah. I, I definitely think it's learning from each other and, you know, webinars like yourself that you're hosting right now, you know, participate as much as possible, talk to other operational leaders in the, in the market, you know, LinkedIn each other, try to connect and learn from, you know, their experiences. I have to say I haven't read one book that is written purely around operations because it's a gamut of you know things. We're busy I think... working. That's why we don't write books. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is an opportunity for us to all get together and write a chapter in a book and then come up with one. But I, I think it is a lot to do with just hearing each other's confessions. And I think this is a great platform to do so. I've benefited from listening to, you know, podcast of people like me who have been in the industry. I keep in touch with my old bosses and colleagues that have worked with me. That's the best way to learn because as they move on in their careers, they learn more and then you guys can share. Um, there is one book that I recently started to, you know, read online, which was Choose Possibility. It's written by this Indian um, 
operational CMO, uh, and her name is uh, Sukinder Singh. She writes about how to make better decisions and how to create resilience in a team. And that really is truly the right nature of an operational leader. And once you start knowing how to make those decisions and be able to pivot with time, it is going to make you more successful. So I, I really highly recommend reading that book, Choose Possibility always thinking about what is possible and how to get there. So never ever be, you know, um, never ever run short of what you think you can achieve. Go ahead and put your mind to it and you will find solutions around it. And I think that's maybe the best book I can recommend around operations today. Got it. So do more of those events, spend time, make time to, uh, to connect with your peers, especially it's often isolated, I think, compared to like, you know, sales or even engineers, you have a big group around you where you can share notes on, but, you know, operation is often more smaller teams and isolated. So make that time. And uh, the book, can you share the name again of the book? Choose Possibility. Got it. All right. So we can add that to uh, Audible or, or other list of books. Too. Yeah. Any uh, last piece of advice, I think, for, for our friends here or uh, comments? No, thank you all for joining us today. I'd really love to hear your thoughts around ops. If you have anything, please do send us through chat, but don't be afraid to be a part of an operational team. It is a, it's a fantastic journey. As you see your business grow and the impact that you bring, you'll be surprised how great an operational journey could be for you. And so make the swing if you're sitting on the fence to move into operations or make the swing if you want to go into strategy. Either way, follow what your heart says and you'll be in the right place ultimately. That's awesome. And yeah, it's on the team. We'll, we'll do a follow-up. Feel free to share your LinkedIn. Uh, you can see the people that were on the uh, on the call today. So you can connect externally and we are happy to, uh, yeah, to, to help the community come together and do more of those. There are also a few, uh, I think like a podcast of a friend, Jeff Ignacio, like revenue architects. So I'm seeing a, few, a bit more movement around, okay, what do we do actually in ops? all the way from very strategic, as we discussed today, and to very, very operational. Hey, I have this tool, this campaign, uh, what's, what's our, uh, the setup there? All right, we'll, um, and I see, yep, you have a few uh, recommendations on the chat, the more pros, that's clearly like a good community to go to. Uh, thank thanks, you. Jeff. And Anna um, also shared the book on Amazon for uh, the truth and the possibility. Yep, a lot of love comments on the on the side. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Neha. Uh, thanks so much for the time today, and thanks for everybody uh, for for joining. So next week we'll have a conversation with uh, Brooke Pardos from uh, Invoice Invoice Cloud, so Director of Marketing Operation and Analytics. And the main topics will be about a bit of tech stack. What are the tools that uh, Brooke really likes? data-driven CMOs and a woman lifting other women in marketing operations. So feel free to uh, register if you haven't yet. And I see a few uh, comments as well about the lunch. Yes, there will be uh, a $25 <laughs> card for that. So you can eat some good food. Fresh food is excellent, Indian food as well. Uh, the beauty of the US, we have a lot of options here. All right, thanks everyone. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Hannah.